Talent wins games, but teamwork wins championships. Welcome to A Players, the podcast where we'll tell you how to target, hire, retain, and train top performers for your team. Okay, go tell me what X, what our past rate is from onsite to offer in 2019 to 2020. Have them go in, feel the pain of how dirty all that data is, and have them come to you and say, oh, well, if we had better data, I could do this. I had to scrub through 10,000 lines of Excel when I exported it, and it sucked. You know, or I can't tell you this because I don't have it. So that's one strategy we use as well. But you need to think about how you're going to bring your team along with you. And it means as a leader, you got to have a vision for your team. And if this is in there, you can slowly grow it. I would argue that you're behind the eight ball at this point and you need to aggressively go look at your data and make sure what's there and fix it. I am Robin Choi, CEO at HireSuite, and we are sourcing automation software that helps 900 tech companies hire the best talent. Add me and follow me now on LinkedIn if you want to keep an eye on us. Hi, everyone. Today, we're having Mike Moriarty. He's a global head of talent acquisition at Dropbox, joined in, in 2017. Dropbox, everybody knows about them, right? 600 million users, offices in 12 cities. And today, Mike manages a team of 120 people. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, that's correct. Cool. Thanks. So very happy to have you here today and to hear about the secret sauce behind the Dropbox talent acquisition team. Did I miss anything in the introduction? And can you tell us a bit more about your background? Happy to. No, I think that's mostly it, Robin. I think uh, I can give a brief background how I even got into recruiting. I'm one of those folks that fell into recruiting, I guess, later in life. I started my career as a commission-only employee in San Francisco selling financial services to whoever would talk to me. And that I didn't realize how much that would shape my recruiting career because being commission-only and working for a 155-year-old institution, one of the biggest learnings I have and the competitive talent or output based on every individual in that company was really based on how well they resource their time. And so they had a system that really helped that was proven over a long period of time, obviously, to manage your time and to understand how efficient you were at that time and in that in that business obviously relates to dollars. So if I living in San Francisco, a very expensive city, I wasn't from San Francisco, so I was making cold calls. I made 40 cold calls a day for my whole life, it seems like. If I had to understand how the how I'd get those calls, how those calls would go, how many meetings I would have, and then obviously how many meetings would turn into dollars. And then you can essentially work backwards from there to understand how to efficiently run your business. And so I, I did well in that industry for a while and kind of had my eat, pray, love moment, which is probably for a different podcast. And ultimately found my way into into sourcing at Google, which I know is random and a funny story. We can tell it another time. But I got to Google, the, the probably one of the coolest, if not the coolest company of our generation at the time. They were scaling like crazy, obviously. And I was the second person that Google ever took a risk on to hire without a technical background or a recruiting background ever. And I got in and they kind of started telling me like what Java was. And I thought it was coffee, obviously, at the time and what these programming languages was. And I just thought it would be the easiest job ever because who doesn't want to work at Google? <laughs> and so I quickly learned that it wasn't that easy. And I understand the difference between hiring passive talent versus active talent. And, and I was also, I don't want to say competing, but there was 130, 140 sources at the time at Google. And they had stack rank you every quarter from you know total number of offer extends. I remember talking to my lead and he's like, okay, Mike, you need to get about four offer extends every quarter. That's your goal. I was like, okay, great. What are the top performers doing? He said like seven or eight. So okay, great. How many on-sites do I need once I understood the process to kind of get them to an offer? And he kind of gave me the number. And then I was like, well, what does it take to get an on-site? I, I will never forget this. Robin, he looked at me with such a blank stare. He was like, I don't know, just, just do a lot. And I was shocked. 
the epitome of this company that has analytics on human beings and how you click and all these other things really had no idea how to run a recruiting business like a business. And so then it took upon myself to say, okay, let me learn. So I just asked everybody who would listen to me. I took them to to coffee, which was free at Google. So it didn't cost me anything. <laughs> and I just ask them, right? Like, hey, how do you do this? Why do you do this? And I was probably incredibly annoying for the first couple of months because I would just ask questions. And I wanted to ask people who were at the top of, the, of that leaderboard that was public. And after the first quarter there, at I think out of 130, 140 people, I was second to last. I was terrible. And I was really afraid I was going to get fired. And so at that point, I made this call and it was kind of based on desperation slash, you know, kind of inspiration and confidence. I know how to do this. It's just in a different way. So I recreated this system that was taught to me at this financial company at Google. And I reverse engineered my numbers. And I started tracking on a piece of paper how many calls I made, or how many emails I sent, how many people would get back to me on the phone, how many of those phone conversations would move to a phone screen, how many of those phone screens would go to an on-site, and those on-sites would ultimately turn into offers, and you get a lot of large numbers and pass the rates. And Every quarter after that, I was in second place in the whole organization, never getting first place, which obviously still bugs me, or so I probably wouldn't say it publicly. But I think what shocked Google was not only this, you know, this rise to production, but also the consistency where they can then say, oh, well, we can expect X amount of output from Mike. And I could sit there and tell them that. And I knew my math. I knew I needed to talk to 15 people a week to do this. Based, and I was getting more efficient. And I'd look back at my business every two weeks and say, okay, how could I better decipher who's going to get through or have different conversations or uncover better objections early to increase the efficiency of my pass-throughs? And I think once they got wind of that, then we started piloting it. And it caught, it caught on by wildfire. I built an internal Google Sheet that's still being used today, which is funny. And it's just and, and we were able to scale sourcing and, and be able to better performance manage, et cetera, et cetera. So that's really kind of how I'm known there and how kind of in this industry and obviously Google known. And then obviously a lot of companies have left there and taken the spreadsheet with them, including myself as I've gone on to, to Dropbox and brought that here roughly four years ago and was able to really empower people to run their recruiting desks like a business, which was shocking to me that it's nearly never been looked at that way. So that's kind of my background and why I'm fortunate enough to, to be talking to you today. Yeah. What's very impressive or interesting at least is that these methods have been in place in the financial industry, sales, marketing for years, but it seems they are still regarded as very new in the recruiting industry. And so when we decided on the, on the topic for this episode, we finally settled on how to use data to manage your talent acquisition team like a business and your talent acquisition like a business. But most of these strategies actually come from the sales industry and are it seems rather easy to set up and to create in your organization. So what are the first steps that recruiting teams need to implement to set up those strategies and make a better use of data to improve their hiring processes? Yeah, I think, well, first is understanding data. And to your point, there's tools out there a lot more now in recruiting, but they've been out there for hundreds of years in sales. And so I think one of the biggest challenges you're going to have, if you haven't thought about this as you started, is data integrity. You're going to look back at your internal system and you're going to probably uncover what we uncovered at Dropbox is that our data was dirty. So meaning what we got out of it really wasn't accurate or honestly that useful. So what you call you need to make is depending on the, you know, I'm throwing up air quotes here virtually, but like how dirty your data is. And the good thing about data is you can go back and understand what those are. And you can, we put in a lot of programs here to go retroactively back into our systems and clean up our data. And then we actually set OKRs now 
around data integrity, around the fields and our tools that we need to be a thousand percent accurate. And we OKR the leads and the ICs on that. Part of the challenge there is doing that. And then you're going to get a bunch of people who have not had to do this. They're going to look at it like busy work. They're not going to like you very much. I've lived down, I've lived this world a couple times in my life. And I think it's important if you're a leader in these organizations to really paint the picture to the why. What is the value they're going to get out of this? And that is going to be, in my opinion, and which I've proven, is efficiency in their business. They're going to be able to have a better conversation with a hiring manager. If you're a recruiter sitting right now and your hiring manager is asking for more pipeline, more pipeline, more pipeline, which I imagine all of us get on a weekly basis, without this data, you can't sit down and understand that it's actually more pipeline and more reach outs might not be the best solution for them. Meaning a lot of people are coming in, but they're just maybe all getting caught at the phone screen stage. And so your pass rate for the phone screen stage is really down. So what are you doing to assess that snag? Because if you fix that snag, Maybe the rest of your pipeline is worth running efficiently. And so throwing more people into a broken snag isn't a good business decision. It's a waste of your candidates' time. It's a waste of your public perception. It's a waste of your recruiting time. And so it empowers you to truly be how we hire Dropbox is to empower people to run it like a business. Like If you were accountable to the output of that job to pay your rent, I pretty much would, I would think that most of us would need to understand these things to make sure the output was great and accurate and on time and 100% perfect for the hiring manager. Otherwise, we have no place. There'd be more urgency. That's the biggest thing I've learned on how I have to recreate that in a world where someone's income isn't derived on it as much. Obviously, pay for performance with performance management, but they're still going to get paid every two weeks or whatever it is at your company. So you need to look back at your systems. You need to make sure what data you have and how accurate it is and put in a plan and time to do it but before you do all that, you got to bring your team with you. And there's different ways to do that. You can give them some challenges like, okay, go tell me what X, what our past rate is from onsite to offer in 2019 to 2020. Have them go in, feel the pain of how dirty all that data is and have them come to you and say, oh, well, if we had better data, I could do this. I had to scrub through 10,000 lines of Excel when I exported it and it sucked, you know? Or I can't tell you this because I don't have it. So that's one strategy we use as well. But you need to think about how you're going to bring your team along with you. And it means as a leader, you got to have a vision for your team. And if this is in there, you can slowly grow it. I would argue that you're behind the eight ball at this point, and you need to aggressively go look at your data and make sure what's there and fix it as soon as possible. And so if we even get closer to the reality, so today, what's your recruiting stack at Dropbox? Which ATS do you use? So we use Greenhouse, and then we use Gem as our CRM, our, and or yes, and then we display our data. We use Tableau, and those are really our main tools. Then obviously we have LinkedIn Recruiter, which we pay them a little too much money, and they basically have rights to my next child. But it's a default tool that we need in this industry. But yeah, Greenhouse and, and Gem are really our lifelines in our, our recruiting side. Okay. And so you said you now have SLAs on the fields that need to be accurate in Greenhouse. So what are the main fields that you use today? Yeah, for us, well, a good thing about technology to your earlier point is that there's a lot of technology coming to recruiting to solve for this. So the good thing about, you know, Gem for us is when they, when you save a PDF of a resume or of their profile and bring it into your system, it auto scrapes all the data. So the school, the previous companies, the years of experience, all that automatically comes in because I was the mean manager that used to make people do that. Part of the issues you got to do with that too is schools validate your schools. Like you don't want 
MIT and Massachusetts Institute of Technology in the same field because it pulls it as two schools, right? So you, you just need to do some thinking there. So a lot of it is automated. So what the recruiting and sourcing have to own, some important things to us are diversity, which some of that gets caught. And when you apply online, we, we have an auto tag come in based on what you select on your EEOC agreement. But if you're sourced or whatever else, we understand it's not 100% accurate, but we ask the team to tag the candidates so we understand like our efficiencies in, in those pipelines. As a recruiter, we really need to make sure our competing offers are filled out because it's a way we have a great partnership with our total rewards and comp team. If the industry is moving faster than our Gartner poll to be able to compete in certain teams or locations, we want to have those conversations to help influence our team to maybe go pull these reports sooner. And so we can do things there. We want to understand kind of where the people are at currently as Dropbox is moving to more virtual first uh, approach. We want to understand like how we're doing in different markets. And then some of the big things is why are we winning and why are we losing? We're really big on decline analysis, decline re-engagement. So we truly want to understand the real reason, which is usually layered, unfortunately. It's not just comp or this. It's a combination of things. But we really want to make sure those fields are as updated as possible to make sure we understand that again so we can adjust the company, adjust our sales pitch, adjust you know whatever, and or re-engagement. We want to make sure if we do talk to somebody, we understood why they left and that we've addressed that if they do want to come back in a seamless way. So those are some of the fields that we asked the team to do, but with an aim over time to obviously think about this as an efficiency play, we want to make sure those fields are, when they can be automatically collected from any part of our process, we want to put that in there. And then we want to show them the importance of when the data comes out, why we're asking them to do that. And we walk people through kind of this re-engagement strategy or other things. And so think of an example for university recruiting i'm sure like every company out there you get a bunch of online applications plus we have a team going out there like you know fishing for some we have a lot of people going to our process that just don't necessarily get through or go choose someone else those are warm leads for dropbox they've had a conversation with us they at least were interested to engage with us at some point i don't want that relationship to go away and we want to have we want to be able to pull all those people back maybe you can depend on the timeline 18 months two years and when you have open pipeline for your level twos, maybe you can then re-engage and just, you can say, Hey, listen, I know you talked to us a couple of years ago. It didn't work out versus hoping to go find all these people again. And so we try to put in there their years of experience from graduation. So we can make some guesstimations on level, but it really depends on what metrics are important to you and what story you're trying to tell. And with a goal of less clicks for your recruiters, because they already go through a lot to, to get someone closed, at least for a Dropbox they do. So these are the main fields, main information you want to track on everyone. And what are the main KPIs, the main pass-through rate that everybody must know in a recruiting process? Somebody listening to us and having absolutely no ideas what their number are. What are the top five numbers they should know about their process? I think it kind of depends on who you are. So if you're at my level, you probably have different KPIs, right? So I look at overall headcount, this decline analysis where we're losing folks, where we're winning diversity, time to fill, time to close, those types of stats overall. I think as the next layer down, what you're really looking for is, again, like efficiency of business. So we look at it from like bottom of the funnel up. So we actually, we have a talent brand team, actually one person, amazing team. Her name is Mariama. She's incredible. But she looks at our sentiment. And that can be measured in a bunch of different ways. But how many people are clicking in? How long are they spending? What's our glass door overall score? Things like that. Like, what is the market doing and what do they think of us? And when they do think of us, are they coming to us? Then when they're in your process, you look at which sources are they coming through? So online is a big one as far as the start of our process. That's about two-thirds of the people that, that apply here come through that channel. 
And so we assess that as a whole, but then also the slices. Did you just come to our jobs page? Did you click on LinkedIn? Did you come to Glassdoor? Did you go to an event and click on our thing? Another channel for us is sourced. You know, did we passively engage you? Those channels seem to be more competitive. Usually they have more on-sites. They're, you know, of a talent bar that we proactively they had a job. They weren't actively looking for a job. So you look at those metrics. Referrals, it's a great source of hiring for all recruiting teams. And so you want to make sure those candidates, not only the candidates, but the referrer are looped into your process. So we don't only look at like the efficiency of that, but we make sure the experience of that one is looked at on both sides. And then if you have any like events or things like that. So we look at those funnels or those, uh, I think we call them channels. And we make sure we have the pass through rates from each stage. So from application to the recruiter screen where the recruiter had a call and said, yay or nay, or they said, yay or nay, based on the conversation. Then you look at the on- the phone screen, which is typically our first step in a recruiting process. So just the pass through rate of, of there. And then who gets through the phone screen to an onsite, and then an onsite to an offer, and then an offer to an offer accept or decline to a terminal decision. And so then the layers within there, and this is where it gets confusing, but it's kind of exciting for a data nerd like me, is like you have these four or five channels, depending on your organization. There's a lot of things horizontally you can look at within there. So diversity, you can look at female, you can look at underrepresented minority, you can look at level, you can look at location, and then we quantify it all by skill set. So are you a front-end engineer? Are you a product manager? Are you a salesperson? We look at that layer horizontally across that as well. Because a lot of times, if you don't have those cuts, you'll say, wow, San Francisco is doing terrible. Their, their onsite rate is way down. But you click in, it's like, oh, it's just our, I don't know, I'll just say sales organization to pick on sales. Like That percentage of our hiring has gone way down. So we don't have a San Francisco problem. We have a San Francisco sales problem. And you can even go one layer deeper. We have a San Francisco layer uh, L2 to L3 problem. And so again, it's like knowing your business, you might just say, oh, we need to fix San Francisco where that's not really your problem and you're spending time inefficiently on solving the wrong problem. So we have these horizontal cuts. I think we call it katana inside because it's a slice of data, but we have these standard slices of data that we look across all of our Tableau reports. And that's something I've only been in this seat one year officially as the head. I've been in other roles prior and that was one of my first initiatives is to have the same cuts of data across all of our dashboards to make sure when you're looking at any report, you can look at it by these standard things. And it allows and empowers the team to really dig in and understand the true problem. And then obviously, in theory, and, and at least in practice, the Dropbox get to a better solution. And so I'm curious to understand how Tableau fits in the mix. So you'll use that to what visualize those katanas? Exactly. Who's on Tableau? Is the hiring manager on Tableau? Is it only the recruiting manager? Who's on Tableau? Yeah. So depending on the report, we have like a like a high level KPI report for all recruiting. That's me, my boss, and like our CEO and president. That's really it. And then we have other views to where if you're a hiring manager, we have a view for you. And our aim is to be transparent with data. And I think the piece about data that I haven't highlighted yet that has incredibly changed the culture of Dropbox, and I'll get back to the Tableau question in a minute, is having the transparency of data became less than this is a recruiting problem and finger pointing. This became a recruiting and hiring manager. This is an us problem. And we we're able to show him or her, you've had more than enough on-sites for this role and no one's gotten through or no one's accepted. So this isn't a more pipeline problem. This is either we're bringing in the wrong pipeline, we're screening wrong problem, or we're selling together problem wrong. And so it's really brought the team together. When I first got to Dropbox, it was, I would call it more of a finger pointing organization. Recruiting used to do more, recruiting used to do more. It is very much now a partnership. We work in very close partnership with all things that we do with our uh, leaders and those organizations to look at the data and make those decisions. So 
back to the question is we have these cuts of data by hiring manager or if you're a manager of managers and have a whole organization you have these views by your roles of who's in pipeline by stage what are the pass-through rates within there and are they in line with what we'd expect based on historic views and then we have these easy codes based on how long people a role should be open meaning nothing will flag as a bad thing in the first 30 days of a role being open because it shouldn't be full we shouldn't have enough on-sites at this time because it's so early. But once 30 days hit, it's like, okay, do we have enough people at phone screen and on-site based on this role that we should expect? And it's either like a thumbs up or I forget what you use, green check or whatever it is, or a red X. And it really allows the hiring manager and whoever's um, helping them with the rec have those conversations. It's usually more prevalent in our non-traditional roles. About 60, 65% of roles are what we call evergreen roles. They're just always on. They're just roles that are usually open all the time. But on the more niche one-off roles, we have different timelines based on those being open. And we it allows like really transparency. And where some highlights have come recently is they've noticed, I forget the name of the role, so I, excuse me, but you know we've reached out, we looked at the market, we looked at this really unique role, and we found that like we've pretty much emailed most of the market in San Francisco that fits this minimum qualification. So if we send another email... It's really not going to help us. So what we can do, let's try, we can, we sent some emails from his account through Gem, which is what we're able to do. And then we tried to have like a, a public series, like a, a conversation with him about the role. And that was able to drive out some more, some pipeline of people that didn't respond to our initial email to the later response. And if we didn't have that data, I think we would just would have spammed everyone else again and pissed them off even more that they didn't respond to us. So Things like that have really been good. So Tableau visualizes and is transparent with what is good, what's great, and what's not so great. And as any person in recruiting and or leader, you know, we have these, I don't know, we have these expectations to be perfect at the end of the month and the end of the quarter and the end of the year. And it's just not fair. There's no way we're going to be hitting every mark today. You know, we're going to be hitting most marks today, but not everyone, right? And then those will shift tomorrow. We're dealing with humans and a pandemic, et cetera. So I think our charge with this transparency is to show the variance and what goes on in our world. We can show prioritization where we're moving the dial and then to thought partner and say, here's what we think or seen in other orgs to be successful with this problem. But let's think about this problem together because this isn't a recruiting problem. This is, this is an us problem. And our job is to hire the right person at the right time for the right role for you. So that's really helped us with that. And we we give, and then there's certain stats of like executive that are confidential that we don't show up or diversity stays pretty controlled, understandably, but we share a lot of those stats real time, update every day, pull from greenhouse. And those have been built over the last kind of 18 months to avoid the pings or the conversations where hiring managers in a meeting with their manager, they can just pull up their stuff and have that conversation right there versus having to pull in recruiting. Cause we want to empower them to run. We want them to engineer more or sell more or project manage more. Our jobs to recruit from. So you don't want them worried about what's going on or have questions or no visibility into what's going on. And then it's also way easier to explain the concept we discussed before, which is productivity by resource in your time team. Yeah, it's a performance tool. One, I think it's a metric we all should be probably living and dying by, especially when times are tough. It's something you should know to resource your team. It's there's a lot of variables and people do it a lot differently, but it's it's we look at it all the time. And I've had a lot of conversations, a lot of leaders and friends in this industry, and it's something we all think about. But having this, you know, I used to run just global sourcing when I started uh, at Dropbox, and they didn't have any of this data. They weren't collecting search data. So they would start a search over every other week for the same role, same location, and they didn't think about it that way. 
they just thought of every search as this individual beautiful snowflake of a search. And some of these roles are just not, right? So we were able to put in these systems, put in these expectations. They'd be like, hey, I need to hire seven front-end engineers you know, soon. We now had a repository of these people or people that have gotten back to us. We could spend talent brand money on these ways and push applications. So we could work more fluidly and making sure we're hiring the right talent. And it expanded the productivity of the team 3x when I was there and actually enabled us to grow the sourcing team as well. Another thing we did, which I think is probably unique to us, but again, we kind of we stole this from Google, so I apologize, Larry and Sergey. But what they did is they had online sourcers or an application review team sit across the app, the recruiting team layer, like horizontally before the process. What I mean by that is typically you have a recruiter, they'll have 10 roles, and they kind of have these blinders on of those 10 roles. If someone comes in their bucket for this role and they're not a great fit, gone, out of the way. So we brought a team in, we kind of grew to this parent-child nomenclature we use to where all front-end, we just have one front-end engineering, software engineering rec in San Francisco online. We might have 30 roles underneath that have different variances in teams and technology experience, but we just have that all and we roll it up. One person or two people's job, uh, we have a handful of folks just depending on the demand, look at those. Now they can look across 30 teams and understand the nuance of this person and make sure they're going to the right team. They won't just decline them because they don't have visibility. And our conversations become a lot more consultative. So we're not just saying, hey, you got to work on this product and this is what we need because this is what I'm working on. It's like, no, we got a ton of teams here, candidate A. What are you most interested in? Are you looking at this or this technology or you want to have this or is this is like not even launched yet? And this is super you know, confidential, whatever it might be. And then also strategically on my end, I can look, since we have this data in Tableau, these roles actually have enough pipeline of the 30, let's just say it's 20. I need you to make sure that you are having conversations about these other 10 to make sure we're distributing pipeline across all those roles as evenly as possible. And the hiring manager, the leadership of that team can help me understand where their priorities are. And so I can essentially help dictate where the pipeline goes. Obviously, it has to be in alignment with the candidate interest, but we kind of give first right of refusal or highlight those roles. Think of it as like an SEO of like, you know, your search tool. It's like, we'll, we'll push the top teams that are needed to the top. By all means, we don't force you there. You still got to click on it, but it enables us to distribute that pipeline because we'd see a lot of times before everyone would go to like, quote unquote, the sexy team. They close the role and we have 16 candidates sold on one role at Dropbox, not 29 other open roles and it becomes a lot harder to, to kind of navigate that. So we try to keep it agnostic early and having that team enabled us to not only increase SLAs where you'll hit a rejection for us within 48 hours, but enabled that we didn't just reject people. We still looked at it. They, they could be still be a good fit for Dropbox. So that, well, all the reason I bring that up is our productivity producers of that group from a cost standpoint and an efficiency standpoint is the most productive and efficient team at, at, at Dropbox. And then the sourcers can then use their tool and their business to make sure they're hiring the roles that aren't coming in from those channels. And that's usually more senior, diverse, hard to find. And But that's where really the business needs it. And those people just aren't applying for whatever reason at this time. Okay. And so people listening to us today might think this is complex, but again, it takes time to build. Dropbox was created in 2007, right? Yep. Okay. So it takes a bit of time to build. And I assume so you're not a public company, took some time to build the recruiting team as well and the uh, talent acquisition team. Can you tell us about the different steps? And that would be my last question, actually. But can you tell us about the different steps if you see different types of teams, like when you have 
10 people in your recruiting team, then you shouldn't care about this and that, and this should be your focus. And then you can grow to 10 to 50 people and then to from 50 to 100. Or do you see different typical size of recruiting teams and different things you should do at each size? Yeah, 100%. I think you know, when you're small and you're five, 10 people, your hair's on fire. You're not only a recruiter, you're probably an HR, you're probably a therapist. You're kind of, the, you're kind of everything, right? And so that the time to do those things aren't as prevalent. And I would say passive sourcing is everyone's job, but hopefully, especially if you're exciting, you're getting enough referrals and you're getting people applying. And then usually at those size schemes too, you're working with third-party companies to help drive some pipeline for you, either on a contingency or whatever size field. And that usually helps you within that. I would say though, if I've never worked for a series A or B, I've worked at Google and then obviously Dropbox, which was still small, but at the right time we had money and investment. As a leader, you have to build for the future to your point. So what do you want to build early? And I would say if I ever took one of those jobs, I would still have data integrity. I would still have diversity under these important things to help scale. But a tableau and visualization and that stuff doesn't need to come when you're a five, 10 person company. You know what I mean? Like you just need to make sure you're hiring and hiring as fast as possible. And you can work off spreadsheets or docs or whatever in the beginning to make sure you are having conversations. And Greenhouse does has gotten a lot better with some automatic tools that, that'll help you like in the early part. But I think you need to be really strategic about naming fields and what fields you're looking for. What is your story you're trying to tell in these early years? As you get more complex, then I would start layering diversity. I would start when you're not being able to fill your pipeline enough because referrals are going down or referrals are all non-diverse and you have a diversity problem then you know then you start building in like your sourcing function and kind of your your crm probably and then you know beyond that then you have your other layers of like a university team as well as like an executive team that probably comes once you grow a little bit beyond that but early i think your hair's on fire you're just trying to get the job done but i would strategically sit down and paint a picture of what you're going to look like when you're at 1500 people when you're at 3000 people i can share for dropbox you know we're about 2800 people and we are currently going a full full review of our recruiting process to your point we're a 13 year old company and we've added on you know lights and levers and fun things onto this recruiting machine over the last kind of couple of years that i've been here but we haven't really looked at the whole thing and understood if it's really representative of who we are does it take the risks or the bets that we want to make? Is it, you know, is it unbiased in certain areas? We have the pass rates and tinkers that, but I think when you don't do that, and I can speak from my experience at Google, is you get down the road and you don't know which of these levers or bells are actually helping you or hurting you. And they're just in there because they've lived there for so long. So I think it's an important exercise and message. Your point is to constantly have a team to really do this as you would for any tool you're bringing into your business before you blindly bring in a tool you should understand your current tools and make sure there's a gap that it's addressing, right? And if there's a gap, then in pick a partner that you respect, that you'll work with you and help build with you because that's just going to serve you well in the long run. But I think you need to understand what you're trying to solve for early. And it's usually just hitting numbers. But I think if you're not hitting numbers, and this is kind of the message I give to any recruiter or less recruiting lead, your job is to get hires. But that's only probably 75% of your job. The 25% of your job is to understand if you're not at least have an idea to where the problem is and what you're going to do, like why. And I think that's the big thing with data that most historic recruiting leaders haven't always just promised the results. And if the worlds weren't there, it was kind of finger pointing, or I feel like, or I hope that, or I don't know. You need to own it and then work with your partners to solve it. So I think have a vision for what that world's going to be, but I would imagine the data visualization, the complexity of sourcing, all the rest of that would 
come as you scale down the road. But I do think it's important for you to think about those early. I'm a guy who's lived it halfway through and taken where it's at now. It would have been a lot easier to have those things at least addressed or thought of, maybe not as complex, but it would have been nice to at least have a spreadsheet of what they're thinking and where they'd like to go when I took this over. And you just got to spend, then I just spend more time looking back. It'd be nice if that look back was already there. Like I probably won't be a Dropbox the rest of my career. I can promise you whoever takes this job after me will have a workbook of what we've done and why and where we are and like the thinking. So then they can kind of do what they want. I think you got to leave things better than you found them. So I would encourage those leaders to really think about that and then start scaling as you have money, opportunity and resources, and then come with data. Like, Hey, listen, we're only able to get 30 hires per our team right now. That's it. That's all we can commit to a quarter. So if you want 50, you'll at least know that you need X amount more resources in these teams. It's going to cost this much and you can run it like a business, just like a sales team. If you're putting ads out there, you're going to understand what those ads ROI are and spend money accordingly. And if you're not getting the ROI, you I wouldn't be spending that money. So I would I would really think about that and scale as needed or where you see deficiencies. And every company is different. Some companies are going to have a great referral culture and, and or great branding or get good funding and have great partners like VC funder that help you fund or some aren't, right? And so your job is to decipher those things, quantify the good and bad, and, and then go make a plan to solve it. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. That was rich. And I feel a lot of people will be cleaning their ATS today and cleaning <laughs> their data. So at least that. Thanks a lot, Mike. And talk to you soon then. Thanks for having me, Robin. Good time. Thanks for listening to that podcast till the end. If you're still with us, it's probably that you enjoy the players. A Players is brought to you by myself and Hire Suite. We are building a sourcing automation software and we already help 900 tech companies hire the best talents. To know more about us, go to www.hiresuite.com or you can add me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty responsive and always happy to chat. The more subscribers, the best guests will host. You want to help? You can do a lot in less than 10 seconds. Please subscribe to that podcast, leave us a nice rating or review and share the podcast around you. That really, really helps. Thanks a lot and talk to you soon.